The soundtrack of our winter and our Bulls were good this year. Mm-hmm. Yes, they didn't get where they wanted to get to, but it's a work in progress from where we were. It's Are you fun. Kidding? Punch was- clocks and all that nonsense yep. to that and get to listen to our guy Adam and Stacy. Come on, man. Uh, welcome back on Cap J Hood. The draft is tonight. And Adam, all I would like to do is pay attention. And wake up this tomorrow morning and go, oh, my God, we got Kevin Durant. What do you think? <laughs> Let's see. I would love to know how that how that twists itself into a reality, my, my friend. That'd be awesome, obviously. <laughs> but I don't. I, I can't even imagine the machinations it would take to get to that point. But listen, there there could be could there be something like that tonight? I don't know if it'll be tonight, but in the next three weeks, you know, when July first starts up and. You get into the free agency discussions and, you know, does Detroit go out and take all of its dead cap space and make a move? Does Brooklyn decide that they want to break up what seemed to be kind of a failed experiment and and either sell off one of their main assets or formulate a trade? I don't know how much movement we're going to see tonight, but I feel like come July 1st we might see a lot of movement. You know, Adam, I think that especially as of late, if you're one of these teams that could take advantage of an injury or two, you can get up there and win the conference. We saw that with the Celtics. There is conventional wisdom out there that says that if Middleton is healthy for the Bucks, maybe it's the Bucks against the Warriors. So I'll ask you this. How close do you think the Bulls roster is to, say, the Celtics, Heat, or Bucks? I still think they're, they're a couple of significant pieces away. And I think those pieces come in the form of uh, some wing depth, I think is necessary and somebody who can change them defensively, especially in the front court. And those are the two things that this team, assuming health across the rest of the roster, is still lacking right now. At least it feels that way based on the landscape we look at. The way Boston and, I mean, think about who was in the finals, right? It was Boston and Golden State. Mm -hmm. These are two of the best defensive teams in the NBA this year in terms of efficiency. And a lot of it had to do with if their perimeter defense didn't hold up on particular possessions, their back end was ready. And I feel like this is a Bulls team that went healthy last year. Their perimeter defense is, is right there. It, it, it could be borderline elite. You know, when Caruso and Ball are healthy, this was a team that for that short period of time, you know, oh so long ago of, you know, 10 months or whatever it is, they looked like a team, you know, probably eight months, whatever it was now. It looked like a team that could stop just about anybody's dribble penetration, could break up most teams' pick-and-roll actions, could disrupt a lot of the flow of what other offenses were trying to do. And if that wasn't the case, on the rare occasions it felt like it wasn't, other guys, and and I I praise Nikola Vucevic for his defense, even though I know it doesn't feel like you know, he's an elite defender, and I'm not saying he is, 
but he had a career high season in terms of shot blocking. And a lot of that just had to do with not having to cover as much ground when guys up front were able to win their matchups for the most part. And even in the moments where they didn't win, the ground to cover just felt like a lot less. So if all of a sudden you have somebody on the back end and it doesn't have to, you don't have to swing for the fences and go get Rudy Gobert. I'm saying if you get some strong wing depth on the defensive end, I feel like this is a team that defensively can come close to what we saw consistently from a team like a Boston, like a Miami, like a Milwaukee. And this wasn't Milwaukee's best defensive season compared to where they've been in years past uh, to, to a Golden State, to a Phoenix that, that gets a lot of steals and works really well out on the perimeter with guys like Bridges and Chris Paul. There, there are still some significant pieces away but I don't think those pieces are as out of reach as I thought maybe five months ago. Do you look at the game the way it's played today? And I know it's spread the floor, shoot the ball. I like Gobert. I don't want to give up Patrick Williams in the deal, especially if I'm taking $160 million in salary yep. commitments. But I don't think Hoodie is as big on Gobert as I am. Do you am feel not. like a big man like him still has a role in this league? It's hard because of what you talked about, Cap. It's it's the money that that he commands, uh, and and rightfully so. This this guy has been a defensive player of the year multiple times. He's in the top five in defensive win shares every single year. His impact on the defensive end cannot be overstated. And also look at what Utah did. Look how bad Utah's perimeter defense was this year, especially come playoff time where Dallas just ripped them apart out on the perimeter. And there was no help. And Gobert, there's only so much you can do. Gobert would be a great fit with the Bulls if you're looking at Caruso and Ball with guaranteed health, with Patrick Williams adding wing depth on the defensive end as well. This could be a very, very good, if not elite, defensive team with Gobert because of the fit. But is the money worth that to bring him in? And would Utah give him up for anything shy of Patrick Williams? I don't think that would be the case. I think they would demand a player like Patrick Williams. And I feel like this front office is very heavy on two-way talent. They really love Patrick Williams because of all of the things we saw flash-wise in the you know 20-some-odd games he played between the regular season and postseason last year. The flashes that he showed showed this significant level of potential. And I feel like this front office really does like guys that play at both ends of the floor. And... I don't know if Gobert gives you enough offensively to justify the amount of money that you'd have to pay defensively and the price that you'd have to give up in terms of a player like a Patrick Williams. So while I think the fit would be great in terms of on the court, I don't know if the numbers can hold up and if the personnel you'd have to give up for a player like Gobert matches what the philosophy of this team is. And you know, to, to defend Hoodie here too, I don't think you need to go get a Gobert to have a strong defensive team if, you draft well, and if your draft pick plays out well, and if you can go out and in free agency or through a trade or a package of a pick or of a package of a player like, let's say, a Kobe White, you can go get a 3-and-D guy or get a capable backup center that plays strong, you know, a much better defensive end and has more of a focus on that side of the floor than anything else. So, uh, Adam, we've heard so many good things about Patrick Williams for someone that has not played a full season. You mentioned for the 20-plus games we saw, especially, okay, the Minnesota game was against backups for Minnesota. But sure, sure. I, what, I, what I did like 
his aggressiveness offensively. So from what you've heard, is there a comp for what Patrick Williams could be? Because I've been telling Cap, if he's Wiggins now, uh, Andrew Wiggins, or if he's if he maxes out to be Jimmy Butler, blossoms into a terrific two-way player, man, that's a real find right there. I think the ceiling, the very, very highest ceiling for Patrick Williams is Kawhi Leonard. That mm-hmm. is, and that, that that's a long ways away. We're not close to that yet, and and I think the the problem sometimes that we have with comparison arguments is we expect, like, let's say I'm saying, oh, his his ceiling is Kawhi Leonard. We expect that to come within the next two years. Uh, Kawhi took a long time to get to that point. You know, it took three or four seasons to get to the point where he was making solid contributions come finals time. And that was with the tutelage of guys like Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and Greg Popovich and, and the, the system that was created around him to get him to thrive. And it still took three or four seasons for that to happen. We, ha- we have this expectation, obviously, he's going into year three and he's doing all the right things, right? He's, he's waking up right now. He's, he's been awake, I would say, for probably – about three hours, maybe four hours at this point already, because mm-hmm. he and DeMar DeRozan have been getting up around 3.30 a.m. L.A. time to get up for workouts and for lifts and for all-day, you know, two-a-day sessions right now in L.A. working out. So he's doing all the right things, but our expectation is, well, he's got to be that right now. I mean, we're, we're, if, if he hits his very highest ceiling, I think it would be in year five or six for a player like Patrick. Maybe if you get to year four and he's playing like that, like that 14 version of Kawhi Leonard, you're thinking, oh, okay, well, now we've got something here. And that's absolutely fair. I think if you're looking at a Jimmy Butler type, great. That is, that is a huge get. Uh, and that's what you expect from a lottery pick, from a top five pick. If you get a player like that, if you get Wiggins now and you see what the culture of Golden State did to a player like Andrew Wiggins and how it forced him to grow – and, and, again, not having to be the number one option is certainly a benefit as well. You don't have that pressure on you, and Patrick Williams wouldn't have that pressure on him on a night-to-night basis here. But if you can take a leap now in year three, the way I think a lot of people expect, the way it was described to him by DeMar DeRozan, DeRozan was very adamant that year three is one of the biggest growth years of a career because two years into the league, and even though, like you mentioned, Hoodie, he's not been healthy for this second season, mm-hmm. year three is when you really have a, a better sense of your body, of what the nuance of a day-to-day schedule is like, what the nuance of a day-to-day plan is like, not only for your own rest and recovery, but for how to game plan for that particular day. How do you watch tape? You have a better sense for that come year two or uh, come year three after year two. And if we're expecting that jump and that jump comes, well, now we're looking at a much different player than just the guy who can toss in a a 30-point game against some backups, now you're looking at a guy that can maybe give you 18 a night against an elite defense. And if that becomes the case this season, if you become a 14- to 19-point scorer twice a week wow. rather than once a month, yeah, you know now, now you're looking at a legit option that becomes your number three option on most nights, and maybe some nights can be your number two option, and that's a big deal right now for what Patrick Williams is trying to accomplish. Hey, man, have a great rest of your day. We appreciate you. Enjoy the night. Thanks, boys. Appreciate you. You're Thank the best. you, Adam. There he is, Adam. I mean.